trafficking isn't this far off thing in like Cambodia. It is sometimes a family member, a neighbor, and it's happening in all neighborhoods. And my wish would be that every woman would know at a very young age how powerful they are and who they are, and that they wouldn't fall subject to that kind of manipulation. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Debbie Isaacs, founder and president of Unshakable. Debbie started this organization in Las Vegas after being inspired by a specialty court that serves women offenders by addressing their trauma and needs. She was originally motivated to help just one woman achieve financial stability, and now she's changed hundreds of lives. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us on the Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on. I'm like humbled. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start about the organization that you founded called Unshakable. You're the president of it as well. Tell us about it. What's the mission of Unshakable? In its simplest terms, the mission of Unshakable is to guide women in recovery from trauma which we define as domestic and sexual violence survivors, trafficking survivors, homelessness, and addiction. And our goal is to set them on a career path to achieve financial independence and stability. I think that mission is so critical, so important. So thank you for doing that vital work. Tell us where you are in the world or in Las Vegas, correct? A Las Vegas-based nonprofit. We serve all of Clark County. Entertainment capital of the world is a perfect place to set up a nonprofit. Unfortunately, there are needs there too. How did you get into starting Unshakable? What was the story that really brought you to doing this work and creating the organization? My background was working as a video producer here in town, and I fell into a niche of making sizzle reels for people that were pitching shows for reality TV. And I heard about a municipal court program, a specialty court, that was helping women in recovery return to not repeat the cycle. So I had gone to see them for really selfishly. I was like, I'll be the next Mark Burnett. This will be the greatest reality show. And I sat in the courtroom and listened to the women share their stories. And it was one of those moments where I just felt I'm not here to tell their story. I need to change it. One of the women shared that she had gotten dressed for herself that day, meaning that for the first time in months, a pimp wasn't telling her what to wear. And another woman shared that she had hoped through the program that she would not have so much shame and that she'd be able to look at herself while she brushed her teeth. And I started thinking, I've had days where I can pick myself apart from even before I get out of bed or feel like I didn't fit in. And I just said, my physical circumstances didn't match, but how they felt matched. And it didn't match only me, it matched friends of mine. And I think that's what compelled me. You know, I just connected to their stories and how they felt. And I walked out. And on that particular day, I walked out to the woman that had shared about getting dressed. I think for a lot of women, we size each other up as we walk into a room. And I just ran out to her on the street, just let her know that she had inspired me that day. And to this day, I stay in touch with her. And she's six years sober, completed college. And she is a case manager at a sober living house now. 
That is remarkable. I mean, that those stories are so powerful and moving to think that they lived through that and how they really touched you in that moment is really incredible. So thank you for sharing that. That is just amazing to hear. So tell us how Unshakable actually helps work with your clients. You know, what do you do for them when women come in the door? How will you help them get onto more stable footing? Unshakable, we call it our Empower to Employ program. So prior to being a producer, I worked in meetings and events, and I feel like all of my career is kind of intersected to bring me here. So the first phase is our I Am series, and we put together a two-day conference. So the Women Experience a Business Conference, where we bring community leaders, C-suite executives, people that are actually in the field doing the work and teach them business acculturation, conversations to build self-esteem, and I always say life skills for adults. So I won't teach you how to diaper your kid, but we're going to teach you how to manage your finances, maybe go grocery shopping for the first time. Phase two is our career coaching, which we have a two-year commitment to all of our clients minimum. And in that, we do a very individualized case assessment. What do you need as you sit across from us today in the immediate of you're coming from shelter? Do you need clothes? Do you need food? Do you need diapers? Does your dog need food? Really things that sometimes we don't think about. And then in a bigger picture, we evaluate, do you need a survival job? Or do we have some time and we can start working on a longer term thriving job? That breaks down then how our career coaching will go. So meaning you will ask people, do you need a job right now for income? Do you need something more immediate versus something longer term where you might see yourself in as a longer term career? You're really trying to help people understand where they're at at that moment. Fortunately and unfortunately, the shelters can't house everybody forever. So sometimes we're meeting them and they have 10 days to relocate. And because of that, they have 10 days to find a job. So we call that a survival job. We're not going to maybe jump into skills and passions, though we may a little bit. We're going to work on your resume. We're going to prepare you for an interview and we're going to job search with you, maybe get you that first job. And then the separator for Unshakable is we never stop there. We understand they need a survival job. Maybe they haven't worked in years. So we want them to get 90 days, 120 days during that time are still meeting with their coaches regularly. We're still assessing where they are. We'll still do career chats and job shadowing. Ultimately, it may start with a survival job because that's the immediate, but we're still on a path for that career development. That seems like such a remarkable, high-touch type of support and coaching, which I would imagine can't be done for that many people, right? You're spending a lot of time really coaching people. How do you meet the need that you see in the community? How are you able to do that? And what does that experience look like for someone who comes in to work with you? Here's a great story. We met Ashley through the court program. She was working maybe 7-Eleven, but she really was smart, had a young daughter, and we knew she wanted to do more. So as she continued to work, we continued to talk with her. And when we ask her, because one of our sessions will unpack this question, however it's appropriate, but at the end of the day, the question is really, if we removed every barrier, if we removed all your fears, if money wasn't an object, what would you think about doing? And Ashley had tears rolled down her face because it was the first time that somebody had asked her. And then she almost instantly was like, I want to be a dental hygienist. So we set up a career, like a job shadow for her to see what it's like. 
And she called me at the end of the day and was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to look in people's mouths all day. Okay. Well, the good news is we now know we don't need to invest in that. The better news is we can reset. So today, Ashley is working for one of our partners, the Care Coalition, and she's enrolled in college, living independently with her daughter, just got a raise and bought a car. So well done. That is great. Are you able to serve everybody who comes through your doors? And if not, how do you decide who you can help? We partner with probably 20 other nonprofits here in Las Vegas. So I tell people it's really the four R's. So there's the rescue, they end up in a shelter, they end up in treatment, sometimes court. There is the residency part, so they get stabilized, temporary housing. There's the recovery, which is the therapy component. And I tell people where the get ready part or the rest of it, which means we partner with organizations here like Safeness, Shade Tree, West Care. And so we bring our programs to them in a six weeks rotation. So we're touching with other partners. Usually we do the two day. If there's an immediate need, then we'll create a one day seminar for them and then move them into coaching. So it sounds like you're very tailored to the individual's circumstance. And then you're working with a lot of nonprofit partners on some of the other pieces, the housing piece, other things that you might not do directly. Right. And because they don't do workforce, we partner with them, bring our program to them at no cost to them. And we become their workforce development and allow their case managers to help the clients get the therapy they need. Or then we work together. Can we get IDs? Can we get work permits? We'll help seal criminal records if that's needed. We partner with organizations to arrange for childcare. So all of those things, we really do work hand in hand with our partners. So this is a nonprofit organization. It's challenging to run something like that, you know, make sure you have the funding all the time and the resources you need. I'm curious, as you launched this and set this up and pivoted from a for-profit career into nonprofit, what were some of the challenges that you dealt with and how did you overcome them? The first one's funding, which I think every nonprofit talks about. First year or two, it was self-funded and then wrote our first grant and we won the Google Impact Challenge for the state of Nevada. We were like, wrote one, got it. That really changed the way Unshakable was seen and also gave us the credibility to then get private donations, private funding, and then apply for other grants. Also, as we continued to grow, we had evaluations and measures to really ask for some state and federal grants. Meaning you could actually show results from the work. You could show where people were going, the jobs that they were getting. Correct. And we were able to identify the problem. I think people get focused on the physical abuse that happens because you can visually see that. The other part of the abuse or the second part is the financial abuse and that's the controlling part. So if you don't have access to your paycheck, your debit card, your credit card, even your wallet or your phone, that is another form of abuse that's equally as hard. And so what we try to do, and sometimes for the first time for our clients in two weeks, they understand that they will have their own paycheck. So we know that if they do return, because sometimes it does take five or six times for a victim of domestic or sexual violence to leave, we know they go back differently and they get to exit that time differently because they do have a sense of independence. 
So Debbie, I love hearing all about this work. I've been a longtime board member of an organization called Safe Horizon in New York City. And Safe Horizon is a victim services agency which provides support to domestic violence victims, child abuse victims, human trafficking victims, victims of youth homelessness. So I very much appreciate your mission. And I have seen a lot of this work done from the shelter perspective, that intake, getting people into shelter, and also with help working through the legal system and making sure people understand what's available. Available to them. I think what you work on in terms of enabling people to have financial independence, helping them find those jobs, even thinking through, is this a survival job or a long-term job is really remarkable. I think that sets people on a very long-term course for self-stability. And of course, that's what we want for people after their own safety. Tell us about the reaction that you've seen from other folks, clients that you served who just never had this kind of intervention before. It changes for everyone. Unfortunately, some of the clients we see are very young. We work with the Shannon West Homeless Youth Center here. So they're 18 to 24, but a lot of them have been homeless since they were maybe 14 or 15, just a terrible household. And some of them come to Vegas, I think, thinking like, this is going to be it. I'm going to do great. And I think depending on the age and what the client has been through, changes the reaction. We recently had a 21-year-old, and she was a trafficking victim from Ghana through Europe, Atlanta to Vegas. And in her conversation, she would often refer to the trafficker as her boyfriend, because that is how they present themselves. And we battled, and she went through our program. She was working with one of our amazing hiring partners, she had a young child and really had a desire to serve, to be in the army. But she also had her, I would say she had like a stubborn streak. So she had asked if Unshakable would give her $2,000. And that's not what we do. And I said, no, that's not what we do. We'll help you do this. And she had like kind of cursed me out. And I want to say this past July, she made it through boot camp, is serving in the military literally came to Vegas just for two days to thank me. I was the first person that had ever told her no in, because the 2000 wouldn't have gone to what she did. And she was like, I couldn't see then what you were trying to do, but I understood after you said no, went through a few things. When I got back to Ghana, I realized, oh my gosh, you were trying to help me. So she literally came here just to say thank you for saying no. And so I think that's sometimes the hard part. We still need to have tough love. We're not 100% on every client. I think that's what keeps me up at night and keeps Unshakable running because my attitude with Unshakable is if we change just one, if we save just one. But the other part of that is if I lose one. And that's what keeps me up at night. Like, how do we not lose any? But I understand the bigger picture is if we save just one. And so that we know that we change not only the course of her life, but her son's. That's just amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That really gives us a lot of hope. Do you think about the root causes behind why people are in some of these circumstances? How do you try to use advocacy to change some of the systems and institutions that can really address those root causes? What are the things that are important to you to change? 
I think for everyone right now, I've been traveling to other nonprofits this summer. Housing is the number one factor that people are ending up on the street or in a situation of staying with somebody that is abusing them. I think the other thing that works, Judge Leung, who runs the Women in Need of Change Court, which changed my life. I think the specialty court approach where we're not jailing people for misdemeanors and we're looking at that system as can we create reform as opposed to just putting somebody into jail and then what we've done is maybe create a better criminal. This is a program where the women agree to almost three times their sentence to work through the program. So a lot of them are getting sober, we're helping them with their job and life skills, learning healthy boundaries. So at the end of 18 or 24 months, programs like that really changed the outcome where before the mentality was like, let them serve their time. And I think people understanding that trafficking isn't this far off thing in like Cambodia, it is sometimes a family member, a neighbor, and it's happening in all neighborhoods. And my wish would be that every woman would know at a very young age how powerful they are and who they are and that they wouldn't fall subject to that kind of manipulation. I totally agree. Thank you. That is absolutely spot on. It sounds like you really work through the community a great deal, whether that's through the courts, through other nonprofits. Tell me about your approach to building community partners, how you've done that over time since you've launched Unshakable, and what that means to you to be able to work through others. I think the advantage was I didn't really understand nonprofits. I approached it from a business mindset. I have this product, you do this, let's collaborate. And in the beginning, the collaboration where people were like, what, you don't want to charge us? You just want to help us? And I was like, right. So the issue of collaboration sometimes, I think for people in the nonprofit sector, always comes down to financial. Small bucket of money, everybody's kind of going for it. So I think we approached it with an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset. That really just changed our attitude about it. And also, I don't mission drift. And people are like, you're so great at this. Why don't you do housing? And I'm like, this is our lane. We like our lane and I don't need to take on housing or food insecurity. We have partners that are doing really good work. So that's our philosophy. I completely understand that. It's something you want to do certainly in your line of work when you see the need everywhere and you know someone's end-to-end experience, if you will, will require steps along the way and needs that you necessarily can't provide. But it's really important, I think, to stay very focused on what you do, both in terms of the quality of that output, but also the mindset for your employees and what it is that you can stay good at. Tell us about the people who work for you, the people who deliver your great services. I'm sure you have just the world's most remarkable people. Why don't you tell us about them? Well, this is interesting because the first person I hired when I came to Unshakable full-time was Alexandra. And the interesting part about Alex is during COVID, she had participated in a Zoom with one of our partners. And I was just so blown away by her commitment. And she really got unshakable after our first or second meeting. And I had wrote her name down. 
and said, when we can hire an employee, I'm going to find her. So like anyone, reached out to her on LinkedIn and Alex was our first full-time employee and serves as our senior career coach. Last year, we were able to add a program specialist. So Lauren heads up our IM series and coordinates with our partners to make sure that that gets executed in excellence and also has the responsibility of kind of managing and coordinating with our volunteer faculty. And I can't say enough about that team. And we have probably 20 individuals that rotate through our IM series that give their time and expertise whenever we ask. And Shar is our most recent hire and is now our other career coach. And we'll add a third career coach before the end of the year. That is amazing. I am sure they are just doing the best work. And when I think about employees in these organizations, I often wonder about how they take care of themselves. It's not easy work. You're talking to people who have really been through traumatic experiences. How do you help them focus on their mental health, your own and theirs, and make sure that they can keep going? I am invested in relationships. For me, one of the best ways to do that is breaking bread. And so I always make sure we have a team get togethers, really good about creating time off, create opportunity to get out, whether that's visiting the pinball museum or a trip to the strip to check out a new cafe or probably not their favorite, but also volunteering at other organizations as a team, most recently packed probably 300 pounds of broccoli for Three Square, the largest food and security organization here, and went to help the lunches for the Boys and Girls Club and a couple other places. If they need a therapy, we have a volunteer that just comes to a couple of staff's meetings, checks everyone, but we try to break it up with a lot of fun events or team building, or even just if they're sick of me, they just get a day every here and there. You've said something which I find so interesting in terms of working with partners. You use a phrase, you don't give to an organization, you give through one. And I'm curious what that means to you in terms of Unshakable and then how you approach partners. For me, the you don't give to an organization, you give through it is for people to understand that at the end of the day, the money that comes into Unshakable goes out for us to service our partners and not become a financial burden to a shelter that's already struggling for financial support, for beds, for services. That's the main thing. Nobody goes into nonprofit to become a billionaire. So the truth is that we're really focused on how we can continue to provide our program through the community without charging really anyone for it. Unlike for-profit business, we don't have clients that pay us. So that is the thing of nonprofit. You can't bill your client. And then I think that what helps us really connect to our partners is they get the heart of everybody that works at Unshakable. And I think that was critical in who we hired. It's hard work, but I think you have to also have a heart to build a relationship with the women we work with. So Debbie, this season, we're talking to our guests often about topic of ambition. So I want to start with this question. Do you consider yourself ambitious? Probably no, but I'm sure other people would say yes. Well, let's say you weren't to use that label for yourself. What do you strive to do? 
what would you be ambitious for without using that word? The vision for Unshakable would be to continue to grow here in Nevada. And then also we have a dream of expanding to another state and cities. And one of the biggest things on our heart is to launch a social enterprise by the end of second quarter next year. So that is an ambitious undertaking, but that's really the heart of Unshakable. We have enough history here that we know our impact matters and it works and it's sustainable. And there's thousands of other cities that we think that we could grow into. So that's an undertaking of ours and the social enterprise. That will be our big focus. I love that. And for our listeners, I just want to ask a final question of what do you want people to take away from this conversation, especially if they have their own needs, if they're looking for help like this, what should they know? One, reach out immediately. And if you don't know who to reach out to, at least start talking to somebody because they may know somebody. I think the other thing I want people to know is because for me, people look at me, I didn't start Unshakable until I was over 50. I continue to work in my corporate life and then this, but I think everybody gets to a point where I think, you know, your job is good, you're happy, it just might not be joy and that you could put your head down and do it for another five years, but there's something tugging at you that says, I really want more. And that's my personal story. I had a great career here in Las Vegas, as you can imagine, as a video producer working with every celebrity you can name and every property you could think of. But I remember very clearly, I was planning that production calendar for what would have been 2022. And I just knew that it's not where I needed to be anymore. The energy and the joy that comes in being in the room with our clients and seeing them get a glimpse of hope seeing that really from maybe when we start the I Am series to the end and see hope, I just felt how many more celebrities do I need to interview or sit with or restaurants. And I just knew rather help a Sylvia and her two daughters change their life. I would say really, if people need help, the help is there. Honestly, you could go into any store and ask for help and somebody will know somebody how to connect you to the right organization in the city that you're in. And there's no shame. The one thing we want our clients to know is that their past doesn't define them, but also they did nothing wrong. It's not a weakness on their part. It's not a failure on their part. It's not that they're dumb or stupid. They're a product of victimization, but they have the strength to move from victimization to success and not stay in the victim. Debbie, thank you so much for speaking with us. You really are doing unbelievable work. I'm so inspired by everything you've talked about and by this mission that you have personally. So thank you. We'll be looking out for Unshakable and just wish you the very best of luck. Thanks for having me again. It sounds like on your spare time, you're doing great work and volunteering. So again, just thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Debbie Isaacs. I'm so impressed by the work she's doing to support her clients with life-changing services. The unique way she tailors support for each client really puts them on the path to a better future. You can learn more about her organization by visiting unshakable.org. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. 
To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash WOTM. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.